Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you so much for joining us. And we begin with growing fears that the coronavirus outbreak could become a global pandemic. Today, the World Health Organization raised its risk alert to very high and questioned whether hospitals were ready for this public health emergency. Wall Street had another sell-off, the Dow closing down more than 350 points today and more than 3,500 for the week. That's a drop of more than 12 percent. And just moments ago, we learned there is now a second coronavirus case confirmed in California, where officials have no idea how that person was infected. We have a team of correspondents covering every angle of this story. And Carter Evan leads us off tonight in California. And Carter, what do we know about this new case? Well, we know that second person infected by an unknown source is in Santa Clara County, about 100 miles from here. They're 65 years old with no known history of travel to areas of concern and no contact with a known case of the virus. As the nation braces for infections to spread, state health departments are ramping up emergency plans. Oregon health officials wasted no time setting up a war room with a team of disease detectives to get ahead of the coronavirus. And the sense of urgency is around um, our opportunity to get messages out and to do our planning now. Nationwide, stores are selling out of masks and hand sanitizers. Prescription drugs could be next. This week, the FDA warned there could be potential disruptions to supply or shortages of critical medical products. As many as 20 medications with ingredients from China are already at risk. One drug they wouldn't name is now officially in short supply, but there are alternatives. 
Meanwhile, the CDC is trying to track down everyone who may have come in contact with a California woman infected by an unknown source. So far, fewer than 500 people in the U.S. have been tested. Today, the CDC admitted there's a shortage of test kits. It is the unknown that creates a panic. Congressman John Garamendi represents the California community with the most exposure. You don't know who is infected, and therefore you are walking blind. The CDC says the goal is to have all 50 states testing by the end of next week. And before it gets worse, schools are taking action. Bothell High near Seattle canceled classes after a staffer's family member developed symptoms. In Sacramento, where two local colleges are now reporting potential infections, some of the affected students are self-isolating in their dorms. Now everyone's just like scared to talk to each other and like go near each other. Carter Evans, CBS News, Sacramento. I'm Nikki Batiste on Wall Street, where the virus's attack on the markets left reeling traders in its wake. This has happened fast and furious, and there's way more unknowns than there are known. Stocks fell for the seventh straight day, the quickest correction since Pearl Harbor. Traders also blame the lack of a consistent message from the Trump administration. The president asked for outside help to steady the market. I hope the Fed gets involved, and I hope they get involved soon. While his chief of staff offered this solution. Really what I might do today calm the markets is tell people to turn their televisions off for 24 hours. That's little consolation for the hundreds of U.S. businesses struggling with China's shutdown. Activity at the port of Los Angeles, the largest gateway for Chinese imports, has slowed dramatically. Analysts say Target and Walmart could see some bare shelves by mid-April if the crisis is not contained. The travel industry will also suffer, losing potentially over $46 billion per month as United Airlines announced it's suspending service to major hubs in Asia. Americans are canceling more trips, while travel insurance demand jumps 60 percent. Even if the Fed cuts interest rates, which could help the markets in the short term, it won't reopen shuttered factories in China, which means the economic pain could continue. Nora. All right, Nikki, thank you so much. For the first time, new cases of the coronavirus are increasing faster in the rest of the world than China. United Airlines joined other carriers in suspending some flights to Japan, South Korea, and Singapore. And tonight, the State Department is advising Americans to reconsider traveling to Italy. And that's where Charlie Daggett reports from tonight. Across the globe, it's not only spreading, it's speeding up. This is a reality check for every government on the planet. Wake up, get ready. In more than 50 countries and counting, it's already here. Mexico, Nigeria, Iceland, the Netherlands, all reporting their first cases, a surge in flashpoint countries of Italy and Iran. Three quarters of new infections are now outside of China. Worldwide, 2,800 people dead, more than 83,000 people infected. Tonight, South Korea has the largest outbreak outside of China, over 2,300 people. In Iran, Friday prayers were canceled for the first time since the revolution in 1979. Outside of Asia, Italy has seen the biggest outbreak, Milan and Venice ghost towns. Reservations have plummeted by as much as 90 percent. Walter Pecoraro's association represents 27,000 hotels in Italy. In a weekend, change totally the, the situation. Like 48 hours. 48 hours change the world for us. 
Now, it's not just cancellations. Bookings have fallen off a cliff. Now, in a country where tourism makes up 13% of the economy, industry officials are calling this a disaster. Nora? All right, Charlie, thank you. Now, with those test kits from the CDC taking several days to confirm coronavirus, tonight researchers are developing a faster way of raising suspicions about a diagnosis. Dr. John LaPook shows us how lung scans can play an important role in discovering new cases. After studying nearly 500 lung scans sent from colleagues in China... It's actually a great case. Mount Sinai radiologists Drs. Adam Bernheim and William Chung are describing a clue that could quickly suggest that a patient has coronavirus and not something else. There are certain patterns that are emerging that are becoming quite clear. We got a first-hand look at the scans. And I'll stop it on the abnormality. And why these researchers think they could be an important tool for identifying novel coronavirus, or COVID-19. So what's most striking to us in our research is how the lung lesions are arising in the outer portion of the lungs. And they have a very rounded shape to them. As the disease progresses, more clues. You start to see many of these rounded lung lesions. Again, they're very hazy and gray. These scans are among the most thorough look yet at the way the new coronavirus attacks the lungs. And it looks different from pneumonia caused by bacteria, as seen here. This type of pneumonia pattern could effectively exclude COVID-19 as the cause. And those clues can be crucial if you're talking about hours and making the diagnosis quickly. Absolutely, they're crucial not only for rapid diagnosis, but also because this is a disease that is easily transmissible human to human for rapid isolation of patients. And Dr. LaPook joins us from outside Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. So Dr. LaPook, we heard from a senior world health official saying today he thinks hospitals around the world are not prepared for an outbreak. Is that true here in the United States? Nora, we do have a relatively robust healthcare system here, but there are concerns. You remember back in 2014 during the Ebola crisis, there were problems early on with protocol, for example, how to put on and take off protective gear. Now, all over the United States, these hospitals are gearing up with drills. And I spoke this afternoon to NYU Langone, where I'm a professor of medicine, and they're not only doing drills, they're sending in actors who are pretending to have symptoms of coronavirus to see if there's proper protocol followed. Still, there's always human error, and I worry about smaller places that may not be prepared, for example, walk-in clinics. Do they have the right triage and protocol abilities? All right, but hospitals trying to get ready. Dr. LaPook, thank you. Late today, President Trump, on his way to a political rally in South Carolina, defended his administration's handling of the crisis as work continues on a vaccine. But even as officials scramble to contain its spread, debate over the government's response is spilling over onto the campaign trail. Ed O'Keefe reports tonight from Columbia, South Carolina. As part of their all-out last-minute push for South Carolina votes, the Democratic candidates are going after President Trump and his handling of the coronavirus. Well, I have news for Donald Trump. Like the rest of us, this virus is not impressed by his tweets. Bernie Sanders wasn't impressed by the president holding a rally here tonight. Hey, Mr. Trump, why don't you worry about the coronavirus rather than disrupting the Democratic primary right here in South Carolina. And Michael Bloomberg weighed in on 60 Minutes for an interview airing Sunday. Donald Trump fired the pandemic staff that was in the federal government's deal with this two years ago. And so we have nobody there. Another part of the last-minute push, campaign ads. By Super Tuesday, the candidates will have spent more than a billion dollars on the airwaves. That's a record so early in the race. Bloomberg alone accounts for half that spending. 
You may soon see more ads for Elizabeth Warren, thanks to a new super PAC spending $12 million on her behalf across the country. She's long distanced herself from such groups, but now admits she needs to level the playing field and is calling on all super PACs to release the names of their secret donors. Nora. All right, Ed, thank you. Late today, President Trump said he will nominate Texas Congressman John Ratcliffe to be the new director of national intelligence. Well, Ratcliffe withdrew his name from consideration for that job last year after questions were raised about his resume and his qualifications. Ratcliffe was a staunch defender of the president during the impeachment process. It's still unclear whether the Senate will vote to confirm him. A huge fire broke out today in the heart of Paris. Clouds of black smoke filled the sky near the historic Gare de Lyon train station. It was evacuated as crews battled the flames. Police say it started when protesters set a scooter on fire. No injuries were reported. Tonight, CBS News is shining a light on homelessness in America, including those who are often overlooked working-class families struggling to keep a roof over their heads. CBS News contributor Maria Elena Salinas traveled to a small town in Texas where the homeless population is exploding. Here's tonight's Eye on America, America Left Behind. Ginny Stafford's mission over the next 24 hours there he is. I see him. is to count all of the homeless people in her town of Victoria, Texas. Give me one, and I'll take these to your side. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to be rich. We're not trying to be Donald Trump or anything. We're just trying to survive and have a life. But they get a good hot meal here every day except Sunday. Is this the first time you've been homeless? And where are you sleeping tonight? I'm not sure, but that's not slept under a cardboard. This yearly census-like count of the homeless is used by the Department of Housing and Urban Development to allocate funding nationwide. The homeless population here in Victoria has tripled since 2018. It's almost like it caught us asleep. Uh, it, we were not prepared, I don't believe, for what we're experiencing today. Part of the problem is that there is no universal definition of homelessness. If you're sleeping somewhere with a roof over your head tonight, HUD doesn't consider you homeless. Now, we so know we better than that. Right, but so we don't really have a clear picture of how many people are homeless in the country. Probably not. Here's an example. HUD reports more than 500,000 total homeless people in the country, while the Department of Education says there are more than 1.3 million homeless children alone. Do you consider yourself homeless? Yeah, because yes. next week we don't know what's going to happen. This family was not counted today. They were living in a motel at the time. Their two children are among the more than 600 homeless students in the school district. Have you ever had to worry about what your children are going to eat? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That day? Yeah. It breaks my heart. Yeah. So they would be the invisible homeless? Absolutely. You should count anyone that does not have their own residence. If they are hopping the way our families have to hop, moving 10 to 12 times in a school year, if that's not homelessness, I don't know what is. Maria Elena Salinas, CBS News, Victoria, Texas. Some tense moments today in the sky over San Jose, California. We're going to have to belly land it. The pilot of a small plane reported a mechanical problem forcing the aircraft to make an emergency landing without wheels. After sliding to a stop, all four people on board walked away unharmed. The police department in Watertown, New York, has a message for anyone planning to travel in the area this weekend. Don't do it. An intense lake effect blizzard has paralyzed a lot of the region. And Don Daler reports from there tonight. 
If you were behind the wheel in parts of the Northeast today, it was white knuckle time because the blowing snow meant everything else you could see was white too. The sky, the road, that ditch you didn't notice until it was too late. This blizzard is expected to end later today, but the lake effect snow could continue through the weekend. The National Weather Service warns that travel in this area will remain dangerous, if not impossible. The culprit was a rare meteorological phenomenon called a snow fire hose that pumped three to four feet of lake effect powder along a narrow swath. A lot of people here refer to it as the North Country, um, but really it's, it's the Antarctica of New York State. Forecasters say the heavier snow will taper off this evening. Overnight, gusty winds will drop temperatures into the single digits. Don Daler, CBS News, Watertown, New York. The story of David Ayers, the unexpected hockey hero, left Steve Hartman inspired. Inspired to try something crazy. So here's tonight's On the Road. When a former Zamboni driver took to the ice last week as an emergency replacement goaltender and stopped 8 out of 10 shots, he became an overnight sensation. Interviews and autographs, everyone celebrating the average Joe who appeared to be as good as an NHL goalie. But I wondered if maybe the opposite was true, that maybe NHL goalies are no better than the average Joe. To test my theory, I suited up the most average Joe I know, me. Prior to this, the only hockey position I ever played Ready? was hockey dad. You got it? My son Emmett signed up for lessons a few months ago. And from my place in the stands, I almost immediately started questioning the goalie position. Is it really as hard as everyone makes it look? Or might a bale of hay perform just as well? So this week, I brought my skepticism to Springfield, Massachusetts, home of the minor league Springfield Thunderbirds. Chris Drieger is their goalie. And like everyone else in America, Chris was amazed that a Zamboni driver could do so well. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can because I think goaling is a lot easier than people than it looks, think. Yeah. yeah, like you can go out there and make some saves. Like they're gonna hit you sometimes. Yeah, right. Because Which, you, you take up in, most of the net. Yeah, yeah, you take up the net. A goal opening is 24 square feet, but a person in pads takes up almost half that, leaving just a few pockets to even defend. I predict I'm gonna block eight out of ten, just like the Zamboni driver. I drive a car. How different is that than a Zamboni? And with that, it was time to put my lack of skills to the test. My opponent would be no slouch, a prime NHL prospect named Henrik Borgstrom. You think you can score on me every time? I highly think so, yeah. You can't even hold your stick right. Game on, rink rat. So, is goaltending really that hard? Initial indications seem to be yes. He's kind of slowish. In fact, as our experiment progressed oh! and the taste of crow filled my senses, Ooh, that was close. I started to believe that not only is this job hard, I touched it. it may be one of the most impossible in sports. That's cheating. In the end, he made nine out of 10. You missed. And I made a promise that next time anything looks easy, <laughs> I'm keeping my big goal shut. <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road in Springfield, Massachusetts. Next week on the CBS Evening News, it's Super Tuesday. 14 states hold primaries, and we'll have all the storylines covered, including how the Latino vote could be key. And if you can't watch live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. And that is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here Monday. Good night.
If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.